on these flips, you make your money on the buy. So right. if you buy it at the correct price, you have right. some wiggle room to sell it at what you need to to move on to the next one. And you're not stuck on what price you have to sell it at. Hey everybody, welcome to Cashflow, the podcast where we talk about turning properties into profits. I'm your host, Jason Yoss. I'm here today with hard money lender, Joe Lima. Joe, how are we doing? I'm great, Jason. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So a little bit about Joe, a 15-year hard money bet. You've been in the game for a while. Yep. Um, you've done underwriting of projects all over the country, okay? And I want to pick your brain because I know our audience wants to know how do they get money on their fix, their flip, their rehab, their renovation, their construction project, you're the one to go to unless they're Daddy Warbucks with deep pockets, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's where I got all the gray hairs from doing this for that long. The gray happens, hair right? looks dapper on <laughs> you, my friend. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank Tell you. me, so how did you get started and how did you choose this niche? Well, um, I got started in the mortgage industry geez, like over 20 years ago. I uh, took an intern while at San Diego State, uh, Go Aztecs. Nice. And, uh, the, the broker at the time needed some processors and he had some cheap labor with us. So learn the ropes that way. I uh, just kind of fell into it and, uh, you know, got a, he started paying commission checks and, you know, you're 20 years old getting a, a comma check. in your check and you're <laughs> like, Hey, this is great. So just took it from there and, um, rode the conventional side for geez, about, about 10 years or so, or I guess maybe eight, eight, nine years. And, um, went through the 2008 crisis and then had to kind of reinvent myself after that. Right, um, right. and after doing the conventional side after 2008, uh, wanted, you know, more of a little bit, something different, more of a challenge. And right. I was already trying to get into the investor space and brokering loans to hard money lenders at that point in time. So I thought, hey, why not, why not do this full time and, and switched my niche up at that point and started to work with investors. And um, the one thing, the main thing that's different between working with a conventional side, you know, Joan Susie homebuyer versus, <laughs> versus right. you know, the Mr. Investor that's looking to, you know, flip houses or develop a property is the emotions out of it. Joe and Susie homebuyer have that, you know, emotion about, hey, we have to buy in the school district or we don't like the, the paint and or, or, or how the house looks and the, the developer is just looking at the numbers and right. saying, does this pencil and how can we make it work? And, you know, can you lower the interest rate a little bit so we can make a little bit more profit, whatever it is. So the emotions out of it on that side, which I loved because it's just, Hey, numbers work great. Let's make the deal happen. The fact that when emotions out of a, a deal, mm -hmm. it does make it a little bit more cooler heads, a little bit easier to navigate and make things happen, provide solutions that aren't, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I'm not saying there's no emotion at all. Like when we're in the deal, but sure. yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a, it's a different type of sell or a different type of, uh, uh, way of presenting, um, a solution to what they're looking for versus the other side. You have to, you know, uh, baby a little bit. There is a little bit more handholding. That's, yeah, hand that's, that's what I was looking that's, for. That's probably for sure. You know, you're definitely providing solutions. Talk to me a bit about your mentorship or training getting into the hard money side. Oh yeah. Coming, crossing over from the conventional well, side. Well, I, when I, going from a conventional, working for a mortgage banker, I, I went over and uh, wor uh, worked for a small family office. So at the time working there, when I started the, f the fund they had going, maybe had 30 ish million in it, which isn't bad. But in the time I left, it was, you know, well over 130, nice. not saying I did it all myself, but I did <laughs> have something to contribute to it. But, um, so, but, but what it did is being such a small office, I think there's only four or five of us at the time is 
you really you, you learned a ton how to you know right. you know bring in a deal obviously to, all the way to funding it and how to you know inspect for draws on construction and all that when we get when we get to that point but the biggest learning curve for me is I've always just been used to bring in the deal and you know make it work it through underwriting and, and make it happen no matter what being so small we I had to change hats from being like the loan officer bringing in the bringing in the deal to make the commission and then having to help underwrite the deal and then putting an, uh, an underwriter hat on at the same time. So you're conflicted in that. You're like, I, I want commission, this. Yeah, commi- my money. <laughs> oh, is this going to be a good uh, deal yeah. to have on the books? Yeah. So, and you have to, you have to, you know, step back and think, okay, is this really a good deal? Is this really good? Is this going to be okay to put in the fund? And, you know, and we'll, you know, analyze it, make sure the guy has experience, look at his past projects, uh, you know, get down to the numbers, make sure the out price is going to be there, look at his skin in the game, all the things that you would normally do. But then I'm the one checking it to make sure it's, it's, it's working. And someone else isn't saying, no, we can't do the deal. It's, it's me telling myself I can't do my own deal. Right. So one of the sayings we would have if we said something on the borderline is, would you put your grandma's money on this loan? Grandma's and, money. And I still use that to the to this day. <laughs> like before, you know, I'll, I'll start analyzing the deal. And before I, you know, hit submit to, for it to go to underwriting going, okay, would our office put their own grandma's money on this loan? Right. Because you want to make sure you're safe at some point. You know, hard money lending, you know, stereotypically, it's just like, oh, yeah, they charge high interest rates, so they're just going to do whatever. And right. that's not the case. You want to make sure that, you know, the leverage and everything is is safe for your fund or your investors or whoever's out whoever's out there uh, putting money in for you. What a philosophy and what a responsibility that you are working to get paid, but at the same time having to have the oversight to make sure that the deal is going to be successful yeah. for the fund, and you have to be able to say no, this isn't the right deal for us. Correct. And that philosophy of would I put grandma's money in there? That's that's huge. At the end of the day, I think you had told me this before. Look. You want winners for both the borrower and, you know, the fund. So oh, yeah. that's huge. 100%. And ultimately, you know, I want the borrower investor to be successful um, because you do so much to bring in a client and have them trust you with their project and, and financing it, right? So you bring that person in and you don't want to just fund a deal that's total shit. You want them, <laughs> right? you, want it, you want it to work and them to make a profit because the reality is if they – develop a, a property, a spec house and sell it or do a fix and flip and they make their 50, 60 grand or whatever it is, they're going to take that money and go turn around and do another project, right? right? And then another project means another loan. So right. you want everything to work out the, to the best ability that you can to make sure that they're happy, you're happy, fund's happy, everyone's, everyone's a winner. That's a win-win. Yep. So let's get into the nitty-gritty jokes. I really want our audience to understand like, hey, for a certain type of project, this is how it works when getting a hard money loan. So, okay. um, do you? Can we start with what's super hot right now? The um, the burr or the you know the buy? Yeah. So for burr, like buy, renovate or rehab, mm-hmm. rent it out, um, refinance it, mm-hmm. and then repeat. Yeah, yeah. Talk to um, me about how you've been doing those. Those have, as of late, have been a little bit more difficult. Or they don't get the same goal, uh, end result as they did, let's say, a year ago or 18 months ago. Sure. Um, d- during, during, you know, 2022, let's call it, you know, interest rates were lower than what they were today. Um, the market was still, you know, it's not that it's not hot now, but it's, it's, it was moving differently than it is, is today, right? Um, so, but to summarize how that works is, yeah, you're going to buy a distressed property, put it, add in value to it through the rehab to help 
gain value to the to the property price. Right. Uh, and then at that point, you would go to your lender and say, hey, look, I bought this property at 400000 It's now worth 600000 Let me cash out based off that new value. Right. Um, so it's simple enough, right? But when you get to that new value, well, you'll get an appraisal, fine. But then most of these are going to be long-term holds. And how these investor clients work is they'll do what's called the DSCR product, which is hot right now. Everyone's out there selling it because they have investors out there needing to cash flow on their properties and do right. this cash out. So the gist of it is if the property cash flows, like the show, if the property cash flows compared to the PITI, the principal interest taxes and insurance on a monthly basis, Boom. then the loan is good. So if they're looking for that $600,000 value and they want to go to say 80% of that, so they're at a $480,000 loan amount, we would have to look at that $480,000 loan amount and say, okay, does this amount at today's interest rates at seven and a half, eight and a half, whatever they're at right now, yikes, yikes. Uh, does that <clears throat> still cash flow? Rents have not skyrocketed over the past year and a half. They've pretty much stayed the same. They've been pretty steady. Or if you're in San Diego, a lot of them are capped at yeah, 10%. Whatever. They're, they're not going to, you can't just adjust the rents to make it work. Um, and there's times where I get a, you know, I get a call in a scenario and they're like, Hey, they're going to DSCR this property and they want to cash out. And I'm like, to do what they're asking, they need to have this property rent for $13,000 a month. It's just, it's just not they happening. They haven't hit that. Right. <laughs> it's not PITI that. is 12. <laughs> if they're not renting for 13, yeah. I can't do the can't DSCR. Do it. So, right. But so today, compared to yes, or, uh, last year, right. when interest rates were on a DSCR were in a 4% range, right. obviously they can cash flow with a higher, a higher loan amount. Correct. So those still work, but they may not be getting as much cash as they would like or compared to what they would last year. Sure enough. Even though the value might be there, the rents aren't covering the PITI at that certain value. So they're not able to get as much cash. The, va yeah, the value but might be there, the loan, but, the, yeah. but the, the rents loan. aren't. Got it, got it. And I, I've had clients that have followed that to the T and it's worked out beautiful for them. And, and, and there's, there's one where like, this is in, in LA, I think of them because they, they, they just started out. They weren't, they're kind of new to, you know, getting into flipping and they flipped, they flipped one house and then they got in, they, with the proceeds, they bought another house and they added an ADU. Then they rented Boom. it and they're like, they called me up. They're like, hey, Joe, we're going to actually think about keeping this as a rental. What can we do for cash out? And we cashed them out every, every dollar of their down payment. So that it's nice. like they had that house for free. Right, right. Right. And then they took that, they took that cash and they went and did it, parlayed it to another one. Perfect. They ended up with five houses Huge. within like Huge. a three block radius. And the rents were covering the mortgage. Mortgage? Monthly property taxes, monthly insurance. I love it. So love they, it. They're, at the end of the day, they're getting everything paid for and still get money in their pocket. And it's, it's like they didn't put a dollar out of their own pocket into these houses because they've they recouped their down payment each way along, along the way. Right. And you can still do this today if you want. You find the right property, mm -hmm. right? Let's say distressed or yeah. you can add units. Adding so units rehab is a play right now, yes. Boom. So if you can do that then you're going to get a higher rental rate as well as the value of the property is going to go up. And that's what you're going to use when they come to you to say, okay, I want to pull money out. Okay. Yep. That rental rate beats the PITI. Boom. I can give you money. Correct. Awesome. And it's just been a little bit more difficult because interest rates are higher. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying you can't get any cash out where, where rates are right now right. Uh, at the 8% level, let's call it. But you're not, I wouldn't expect or anticipate getting the whole thing, whole thing back. And, and people, ha oh, and ahead, having sorry. that L LA client example where they, they got, they have 
five houses five for, in free, a row, right. for free. Like that, yeah, that doesn't happen. 2020 to 2022 was kind of special. Yeah, it's it an outlier good time. in the market. You know, maybe you, you know what though? It's funny that you bring this up because the, the other side of this is people say to me, Joe, okay, why don't I just go to you know Chase Bank and get the same thing to happen? Why can't they go do Chase it Bank can't do that. So if you're going into a conventional bank, you know, one, they're going to pull out like tax returns, company financials, your profit and loss, you know, firstborn child, yeah, yeah, firstborn child, all that (laughs) stuff. And they're going to see, okay, what can you guys afford? Um, And if people walking into a Chase Bank for a fix and flip loan, they're going to go do a full blown construction loan for you. And it's not going to, it's not going to happen. Right. Um, Now I do have, I do have clients that I worked with for over a decade that you know, they've graduated from using hard money on every single deal and they'll, they do have like lines of credit out at a big construction bank and they right. will, they will use them, but then they still will get tapped out and say, you know, Hey, Mr. Builder, you're, you're tapped out at 5 million bucks and Mr. Builder wants to go buy his sixth project and needs more money. Then he'll come to me for that. And those are guys I've worked with forever. So there are, there is an instance where you graduate and, and, and get to those bigger plays and you, you need a bank to help out with that kind of stuff. Um, but for me, for hard money compared to going to a bank, it's just an easy, overall easier process, and right. it's it's project centric or property centric versus borrower centric. Versus, but that's a great way to put it. A hard money loan is very property or project centric versus borrower centric. With the caveat of the, and this is something I learned: you better bring your money to the table, and experience is king, right? Yeah. You don't necessarily have to have the perfect credit, but if you have money to put down to put skin in the game, and you have experience in doing that project, you're more likely to lend than if I just show up like, hey, I got a 700 credit, give me money. <laughs> yeah, uh, experience is the best educator. So um, even if it if if you're fresh off the couch or you just took some you know real estate course and you want it <laughs> and you want to get into you know listen to this podcast and you're like, hey, I want to go start flipping houses. The best way to do it would be to team up with somebody that has the experience, and maybe you, know, you don't make any money on the deal, but you're learning. Yeah, your split is less. Your split yeah. is less. You take you know a small chunk of change. You found this deal. You go team up with the big flipper, and 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 you, and you learn how the process works. Then you have that underneath your belt. For someone coming to me that has zero pro, or true rookie, or maybe one right. or two, compared to someone that's done ten or fifty or a hundred. The person with the most experience is going to get better, you know, higher leverage, better right. rates, you know, better terms because they're seen as less of a risk. Right. Um, versus someone that just started, they really haven't gone through the they haven't gone through the process. They don't know what's happening because it co- comes down to the success of the of the project, and we want to see that happen. We still help out rookies, but at the same time, they're they're gonna they're more of a risk. They're gonna have to pay the price for it. Absolutely. Let's let's talk about then because. <clears throat> Our, let's talk about a garden variety flip or adding an ADU. This is something we see quite a bit. Uh, I think somebody had told me, like, you can throw a stone and hit a property that can add an ADU in San Diego. So well, let's talk about how, when people approach you, how do you tend to handle that type of deal? Um, so, like, on, on an uh, ADU scenario, for example? Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, they'll they'll come to me usually from a referral, usually it's from a real estate agent or I work with mortgage brokers, you know, nationwide. So it may, might be a mortgage broker that we're talking to, but okay, like, hey, I can't do this deal, Joe, I'm more conventional, but I know you can. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. And they, they'll come to me and they'll, they'll, Hey, I got this you know great project in New Jersey and this guy, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and this guy's looking to add two ADUs to it. Uh, what nice. can we do? So my first question off the bat is what's their experience? Do they have similar type projects? Right. Nice. So they'll go, they'll go through that and they'll, they'll, they'll find out what the experiences from that borrower. They have similar type projects. It makes it all the easier. If it's their first deal, I might suggest, 
hey, maybe not adding that ADU and try and find something that's, you know, more just a cosmetic uh, rehab to make it easier for you to make your money and right. you know, make the deal happen. Um, so we're looking at experience, number one. And then number two, the biggest barrier to entry is skin in the game. So hard money lenders, they, they're going to give you a certain amount of leverage based off experience, but the borrower is going to have to come in with the rest of that money. Right. So, you know, if it's, if it's someone that's more experienced, maybe they're coming in with only 10% down on the purchase. Wow. Someone with less experience is going to be looking like 20, 25, sometimes 30%, depending on the overall complexity of the, the right. project, right? Um, the more money in, the more comfortable the hard money lender is. We're going to be in first lien position as collateral for the project, right? right. So if someone's coming in with, say, 25% down, that money can come from their own pocket, right. which is ideal. But most of them that are just starting out don't have that. So they'll go and raise it. And they'll have investors that are out there. Or they'll JV partner with somebody. Or they do what's called a, a gap lender, which are very hard to find nowadays. <laughs> um, but that it, no matter how that money is coming in, we have to source it and make sure that the parties are legit. Uh, maybe have them a part of their LLC, which is going to be used as the borrower for the loan. Mm -hmm. um, but as long as they're coming in it, it, with that skin in the game, then we have something to work with there. Got it. Uh, we, find so a solution one way or the other. When you're saying skin in the game, th this is a big part of just because the down payment you're, re you're requiring is 20%, you want that primary borrower to actually have some of the money out of their own pocket? Ideally, yes. Okay. Um, there are times if, again, if they're newer to the game and they're doing, the, they're doing this with OPM, other people's money, 100%. Yeah, yeah. 100%, bank of P, bank yeah, of parents. Every, it, it, none of their money is going into it. It's, it's a little more leery to, that the deal is going to happen. Someone that's done 50 of these that has this investor group, right. it's usually going to be it's usually gonna be okay. But let's just, we'll focus on someone that's, that's new and trying sure. to just start out and, or you know, relatively new that's just starting out trying to build up that fund. Um, if they have investor groups coming in, you can you know, have them be a part of the project, uh, LLC-wise. Right. You either you can have a JV, a joint venture agreement right. uh, drawn up to show like, okay, when the house sells, you know, Jim and Johnny that put in 20% of the down payment get you know, X amount back on the profit. Right. As long as there's something in writing there um, that they, we can show who's a, par who's a part of it. Um, ultimately, we want everybody to not have like lawsuits and stuff at the end so they Got can't it. close the deal out which i've seen happen before because they don't they that, don't do anything that makes a huge <clears throat> amount of sense when they get past that pass go criteria level for you mm -hmm. is this something that it takes 30 days 45 days for you to fund or like how does it work and what do you expect for, these projects to last for yeah so good question so a new a new borrower we're going to get some documentation like like the LLC I was talking about, right. we still look at credit to mm -hmm. make sure that the, 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 borrower, the borrower or the person behind the LLC is still on the up and up, right? Legitimate. Uh, <laughs> legitimate. Uh, and uh, look, research their past projects. So right. a new borrower may take around three weeks to, to close, between two and three weeks to close. Mm -hmm. Someone that's a repeat, which I have a ton of those over the years, they're much faster because we've already vetted who the person is and who their entity is and right. their past projects, so they can close in a week sometimes. It. it just de it depends on which side you're on. Um, but once they say, you know, we do the preliminary look through and go, okay, yeah, you're, you're good on this project based off the numbers you, you gave me, then, the, then we're going into uh, analyzing the project itself right. and looking through the construction budget um, or the rehab budget, any plans, permits, if they're doing an extensive complex rehab, looking through a, an appraiser appraisal report to see if the value that they're purchasing now is there versus what the future value, that ARV after rehab value is there. ARV after rehab after value. Rehab value. So we, we, 
it goes down again, like I said earlier, we want the project to be successful. So kind of like a referee in that, you know, or, or teacher, like checking the homework from the borrower, because the right. borrower is out there driving, the, driving the, the neighborhoods, you know, out there bird dogging to find the project, right? right. Then they come to me and go, hey, look, I found one. I found one here. We're, we're going to buy this at this price, put this much money into it, and we're going to sell it at that. Then I go through and check their homework and make sure it's all there. What's the number one thing? What is the number one thing you're like, hey, especially for new people, you miss this or you got to go get this? Oh, budget. <laughs> the budget is such surprising, it, but it, 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 it makes sense. It, it, yes. It, you would think like it would just come naturally, but it comes back to like forming a team. But you know, before you go out there and you don't want to have like analysis by paralysis and you're you know, right. too scared to you know, make that jump and do anything. But you would you, you want to have your, your core group of team together being like your real estate agent to go find find the property, right. um, your your contractor to make sure that you're getting a correct bid and like the work you're thinking you're going to be doing on the property is going to actually fit what the contractor can do or thinks should happen. Um, and then your lender for me. So you right. need someone out there, right? Right. So, so um, that's your team when you're out searching for your flip. If you're missing one of those, you might find a great deal. And then, well, I don't have a contractor. So when they come to you, oh, yeah. I, I, I can't get I, it done. I, unfortunately, it happens more often than not where <laughs> you sense. get someone that doesn't, ha they're in either like investing out of state, like they live in California, but they're investing in Oregon and they don't have a contractor pick out, picked out yet. You just have some pro forma, and, like, oh, this yeah. is how, this is how much it'll cost. Yeah, this is how much it'll like, yeah, okay, yeah, it sounds good. But then they're, oh, I'm in contract. I'm like, okay, great. Let's let's get the ball rolling. Send me your um, send me your uh, rehab budget, and here's the form to fill out and sign this. Oh, I don't have the rehab budget yet. My contractor is not going to be able to look at it for a week, or or I haven't picked a contractor out yet. And for me, that's like, wow, it's a hard stop. I can't do anything because one, I I don't know the dollar amount. You give me like an idea, but right. and then two, I don't know the full scope of work. Are you adding square footage? Are you, are you just doing like lipstick on a pig and just making right. it look pretty? Like, what are you doing to this thing? So I can't figure out like the whole, pro analyze the whole project. And then, you know, just logistically, I can't order an apprais appraisal because the appraiser doesn't have a budget or a scope of work to know what the ARV is going to end up being. So having that contractor up front and a budget as soon as possible, even the, the experienced guys, the, the, the guys have done like 40, 50 projects, they'll more than likely have a budget drawn out in their mind or like on their performa, like a true line item budget. It might not be perfect, perfect, but they have it together before they even put the offer in right. to make sure that their offer price is going to match up to the work that, that they have they to do. Get done. Yeah, correct. So <clears throat> they get it overdue. They finally get everything. It takes two to three weeks, depending on who it is to close. What kind of terms are they getting now from you as the lender on this project? Okay, so... Not to repeat myself, but it does come down to experience of course, and of credit. Course. So it's so, right now today's market. The we talked about the less experience, maybe putting twenty five percent down. Okay. So on a less experienced borrower, they're getting say seventy five to eighty percent of the purchase price plus a hundred percent of the rehab budget. Boom. Okay. So that total loan amount, that total loan amount of the purchase money plus the rehab money, mm -hmm. cannot exceed seventy percent of that ARV. Okay. Got it. There are and now the, the more experienced people can get upwards of 85 of purchase, 90 purchase in some cases, plus 100% of the rehab budget. Got it. As long as that doesn't go over 75% of the ARV. Got it. Now the ARV is is crucial because that's the profit right. that the borrower's making. So you can go get you raise your investors and get your money in and you know have you know your parents put chip in and I've you know <laughs> right. I, you know the neighbors whatever and then the ARV doesn't pencil then the project's no good right and you don't want to press the like an ARV because you want to be as 
conservative, conservative as, as possible. Yeah, as you can because that's where you're at. And if if you're getting, let's just say, let's just say you, you want to go up to, you need to go up to eighty percent of the ARV. So you're so now you're getting a loan for eighty percent of the future value. That leaves twenty percent right. for you to gain a, a profit, right? Then you subtract your realtor fees. Right, right, right. Don't forget you're paying, you know, interest on this every month. So you have holding costs. Right, right. There's going to be some small cost overruns. You got to stage the place, all that yep. stuff. So that 20% will shrink down very quickly. So if you're, it's 5% in realtor fees, let's say off the off the top right there. So that's 15% left. And then all the other garbage I just mentioned. So you're going to do all that for maybe making 5 or 6%. Wow. It, you, you don't want to do that. So wow. that's why you, you, you gauge it between the 75, 70 and 75, because then it's realistic that you can still make some real dough at the end of the day. Absolutely. That's, I mean, that's such great advice and wait, breaking it down on how an actual loan plus the rehab cost goes into the way you do your hard money. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just in general, what's the biggest thing that causes failure? After going through all that, they still have to go in and, you know, put the shovel to the ground and, and make, <laughs> right. the, make the, the project happen, right? And, and, and I mean, uh, and you're right. Other than the market crashing, like, where do they, where do these people fail? The, the most common one, and it goes back to forming a team, is, and not to blame it all on the contractors, because I know there's contractors out there that I work with, <laughs> but the, is not having a trusted contractor. Right. And I've, I've seen issues happen where they just don't show up oh. or they, you know, they go, they, they they bid a project way too low just yeah. to get the business. And then they go in and it's like doubled when they get in there and there's Jeez. too much cost that, that need to happen. Um, so other than the market crash, I've seen um, contractors, contractors fail. Uh, I've seen uh, unforeseen circumstances happen on the property. Like you see on one of those HDTV shows right. where they open up the wall and there's a bunch of mold or something. Oh, so that, yeah. that screws it up. Um, but if you have, if you have enough money in your pocket, you can go and, fix it and still make make some dough right um projects take too long which is contractor again every day you're holding that project is a dollar is a dollar um i've also seen lately where borrowers investors get stuck on what they thought the price is supposed to be and like arv like what what they should be selling it for like they bought they they bought a project a year ago or 18 months ago, let's say it's a bigger, more complex, and they're, mm-hmm. they're just finishing it up now. I totally understand that people are going to get <laughs> involved, and these projects take a while, and, and they think like, hey, I, I thought I was going to get, uh, you know, $2 million on the project I bought for $1.5, and all of a sudden, like, wake up. The market hasn't crashed or anything, but wake up, and it's, it's really not. They might, they might need to sell it for one seven fifty instead yeah. of $2 million, and they're still holding out for that $2 they million. Bucks. Off the, off the and I'm price. going, hey, well, you're, you're paying twenty grand a month in this thing, so those months are going to add up pretty quick. So you might as well just make your money now Let's and move do it. on to Let's the next move. one. Let's move. Um, because, again, it goes down to I want to do another loan. Right. They want to do another project. So – being realistic with what you, your sell price is. Um, and it goes back to the old cliche, and I'm not the first one to say this, is on these flips, you make your money on the buy. So right. if you buy it at the correct price, you have right. some wiggle room to sell it at, at what you need to to move on to the next one. And you're not stuck on what price you have to sell it at. And you don't want to be the person that's selling for the record price per square foot on the block. Right. You want to be realistic of where you can fall on that. That makes the most sense. And I keep hearing that. And it sounds like the most sage advice. If you don't buy 
for the right price, you can't expect you're going to cut costs on construction to save you. In fact, it's usually the opposite. That's where you lose. Um, and you talked to me a little bit about this over the last couple of years. Appreciation has been saving people's asses. The yeah. fact that we're just skyrocketing on appreciation, people have been get, getting away from it. I want you to take me through Joe, some lasting advice that you would give, um, to these flippers or construction or, or people getting in the market and needing hard money. Give me some advice for that young realtor and real estate investor. But yep. the, the real estate investor, that young, they're just getting in the market. What are you, what are you giving them advice-wise? Advice-wise, I, I, not to repeat myself, but forming that team is number one. Um, and don't take a project just because you have a deal. Right. It might not make sense. And you're not, not going to go in and do a fix and flip project just to do a project right. and say you did one. You want to make money on the on on at the end of the day, right? That's why we're we do this for the most part, right? So you want to have cash flow. You want to you want to, you want to make the profit at the end of the day on the flip. So you not not to get stuck on analysis by paralysis, right? Which I've said earlier, but you also want to make sure that you're getting into something that's conservatively will work out. Yeah. Um, so that's my number one piece of advice. I, I think that's a huge takeaway. The more people. Um, educate themselves, not, they don't have all that fear. Like, you know, it's okay to fail and, and they go ahead and pull the trigger on something that makes sense. I think they are going to be successful. But a hundred percent. And, and, and just on, on that topic too, I'm just thinking of like instances where I get called up because a realtor referred to an investor and they're, they're talking to me about their second, you know, second or first flip or third flip or whatever. And, and I'm going through it going, I, I don't agree with you on the comps. And right. I, I may say, no, you know, I don't think this is a good one before we even get started. Right. And they might get offended or, you know, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I just, you know, be careful. There's going to be a lender that's going to come in and just jump on it and just sure. to do the deal and not really care. Um, and I'm not like that. I, w I want I want everybody to come through the transaction and be happy about it and had a, had a good experience, not only with funding the loan, but like we talked about earlier, they make money at the end of the day. Right. And grandma's money. Yeah. Grandma, grandma's, grandma's money. money. Grandma's money needs to be okay. I, Joe, I really appreciate you. I mean, you took us through two fabulous examples of how hard money works, mm -hmm. especially for the young investor or your everyday investor. That's some of the nuts and bolts that a lot of us don't know. We hear the terms ARV, BRR, but we don't know the processes. So I really appreciate you coming in and going through that. Yeah, that went, um, that went fast. We well, don't. I mean, after 30 <laughs> minutes and you, you know, out with a cough and all that stuff. No, I'm just, but I really appreciate you coming on. Of course. Educating our, our people so that they know what to do when they need hard money. Um, any final thoughts before I wrap it up? No. Well, good. good. I think good. I exerted everything I could right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, thank you, Joe, for being here. Everybody else, thanks for tuning into Cashflow, where again, we talk about turning properties into profits. Stay tuned. We'll see you next week.